0: Welcome to the Indian Silicon Valley podcast. I'm your host Jivraad Singh Sachar and today we dive into the enigma of startup culture with none other than the phenomenal Ankur Variko, co-founder of Nearby. Culture is often either misunderstood or even wrongly understood. But as they say, the difference between a good startup and a great one is more often than not a factor of culture. Today, we have with us a man who needs no introduction, Mr. Ankur Variko. Ankur built nearby a hyper e-commerce company which allows customers to discover, buy and save on merchants near to them, a phenomenal product used by millions in the country, built by some amazing folks with Ankur leading the way. Ankur has seen the startup space in India evolve and has been an integral part of shaping it. This fire in Ankur never dies as he still periodically mentors founders, is an angel investor and actively shares his learnings, making him a very crucial part of the ecosystem. Culture has always been a very integral component of Ankur's journey. He established great company culture in a way that had never been seen before, a lot of it that you will get to hear during this episode. So, let's jump to it and listen as Ankur defines culture for us in a sublime, bold practical and fundamental manner. Welcome to the 11th episode of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast, Defining Culture with Nearby's Ankur Variko. This episode is brought to you in association with the Entrepreneurship Cell of IIT Kharagpur. Without further ado, I would like to invite Mr. Ankur Variko to join me for this episode. Thanks, Ankur, for joining me today. It's a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much, Avraj. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks for
0: having me. Glad to hear that, Ankur. To begin with, uh, Ankur, you have played a massive role in shaping the ecosystem of the startup culture in India, and you've seen it grow massively, and the trajectory keeps moving upwards. So can you tell us your first views about how you perceive the ecosystem to be currently and what lies in store for all budding entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, I am
1: a absolute believer in the startup ecosystem of this country. I I think that we are full of entrepreneurship. It's largely self-employment. When you look around, you'll see people running their own businesses, whether it's their shops, whether they're riding their own rickshaw, whether they're riding their own cabs, whether they're using their bike for delivery, whatnot. And in the last decade or so, it's become formalized with institutional capital coming in, whether it's angel investing, VCs, growth capital, um, it's become a lot spoken about because of the success that people have had, not just with the exits, but with employees, investors, founders, making and creating wealth along the way of building that startup as well. And if I look at the, the demographics, if I look at the fact that most people are very young, They will begin to earn money. At some point of time, they will realize that they would perhaps consider starting on their own. I am a firm believer that the next 10 to 20 years for this country are going to be absolutely the gold rush. And a large part of that will be driven by startups. And and I hope that this comment of mine ages well.
0: Wow, that is great to hear that paints a fairer picture of what you perceive it to be and what lies in store in terms of the opportunity and the scope. So thanks for that, Ankur. Uh, before we dwell into you know, what culture essentially entails, it'll be interesting to know what it means because before setting up the foundations of startup culture, it's important to understand what it means at the very fundamental level. So can you please you know, tell us what you perceive it to be and how a founder should look at it ideally?
1: In my opinion, Jivraj, culture is simply the way that things would get done in an organization in the absence of a rule book. Uh, the, the rule book lays out the rules, so it's very clear what needs to be done or not. But if there wasn't a rule book, how would things still get done? And that is, is the culture. There are wonderful ways of expressing it. Uh, the one that's very popular is culture is what's left behind the room once the CEO walks out. Um, how the managers deal with each other, what do they say when the CEO is not there, Uh, all of that defines the culture and decision making, if you will. Uh, At nearby, uh, I came up with something which is uh, slightly different though on similar lines, I'd I'd say slightly sadistic, which was culture is what happens when you see a tissue paper on the office floor and you haven't dropped it. So what happens then? Like, how do you react to that? Do you walk past it? Do you pick it up? Do you ask someone else to pick it up? Do you pick it up with shame? Do you pick it up with pride? All of that then gets to in some way, define how things will get done in the absence of leadership, in the absence of managerial oversight, in the absence of a rule book. And I I think that's, that's culture.
0: Oh, so culture is what happens in the absence of a rule book. I've read, you know, how they define culture to be behavior, but it's so abstract in some ways. So can you now tell us more about how culture is actually very fundamental to organization and how it shapes one to be very precise? Sure. So uh,
1: I, I had a wonderful journey deep diving into culture. Very proud of what we built at Nearby. And I think the, the big thing that I realized was at the end of it, humans as managers, as leaders are not scalable because there's way unpredictable. We are emotional. We, uh, we operate with our moods. We operate with our biases. So we need something that is like oxygen. You don't stop and pause and think about oxygen, but it's always there. And it's necessary for you to exist. And I'd like to think of of culture like that, which is, can you create this oxygen layer in the company that people don't stop and think about? They don't like, oh, I get it. Or they're like, oh, I'm so grateful for it. It's just something that's so omnipresent that they rarely recognize the presence of it. And the reason why it's important is, particularly in the time of crisis, in the time of crisis, how the company gets together, how they behave, how they react, I, in my experience, have seen is almost always a determinant of culture. How you've gone through really hard times will get to define how people generally are. And I don't think culture, at least the way that we have thought about it, is an enabler for growth. While you can think like, or growth is a culture or the growth mindset is a culture. Yeah, it is. But at least in my limited experience, culture doesn't drive the success of an organization. Culture actually prevents the company from failing. And that's the difference. It doesn't necessarily make a company go forward and win in the market, be competitive, raise a lot of dollars, go on to become profitable and so on. It basically is the one that prevents it from failing because It's bound to happen that a company goes through hard times. And at that point of time, you can't always rely on people to navigate because people will also experience the ill effects of that downside because they're people, they're humans, irrespective of whether it's the CEO or anyone else. But you always rely then on culture. You always rely on that oxygen layer that was indistinguishable from everything else. Wow. So culture is
0: something that prevents an organization from failure. That's my takeaway from that exact uh, snippet that we had. Moving on uh, to more concrete stuff. Uh, so another factor that you know plays an important role is understanding is one thing, but implementation is another ballgame altogether. So in your opinion, Ankur, how can an organization inculcate culture at the core and how can one move with great company culture?
1: Sure. I'd call it a three-step process. Number one is the belief that culture is something that needs to be built from day one. Because if you don't build it from day one, it would build itself nonetheless. And, and that, is, that is something which, uh, which is very, very critical to realize. Uh, the number of founders who push out building the culture to another day. Like, oh, we just, we're just very early. It's not important. This is not the necessary thing right now. Right now it's all about building the product, getting the product market fit, culture, we'll think about it later. Um, no, because as I said, it's the way of doing things. So if you don't define or if you don't reflect the way that things should be done, it will still find a way of getting done and that will become the culture. So you will realize that when you do get to a day when you want to build culture, you won't be building culture, you'll actually be changing culture from what it has become to what you thought it should be from day one. And that's a lot harder. Changing culture is a lot harder than building one. So that's number one. Number two then is, if you do come up with that realization that it's a day one thing, then you go ahead and define the culture. You define the value system, you define the way things will be done. This is not set in stone, but this is almost like principles. Uh, and, And if the audience has read Principles by by Ray Dalio. And if you haven't, then I strongly encourage you to read it. It's a wonderful peek into how you build an organization with very strong principles or mental models or frameworks that the company lives by. And that just begins to get seen, observed, felt in various walks of life during the organization's evolution and then eventually becomes culture. For example, at Nearby, the culture that we had was Three words. And, and if you were to, even today, in my absence, go to any individual who works at nearby and ask, hey, what's the culture of nearby? Uh, I can bet my life that they will be able to respond to it. Not because they've been trained to, but because they feel it. And those three words were respect, ownership, and performance. Respect was irrespective of who you are, how you speak, how you look, where you started, how much you earn, what your title is. You will be respected. And by that same virtue, you ought to show respect. And that was just displayed consistently in in all our conduct, in in the way that we behaved, in the way that perhaps I am as a founder, as as an individual. Uh, I've always believed in respect and equality, and and it then becomes very natural for me to exhibit that same behavior in my conduct and for people to see that as being reinforced as, as a strong value system or culture. Second was around ownership, and ownership is not about what you're told to do, but what you do beyond what you're told to do. It's about never saying, this isn't my job or that's someone else's job. It's about you standing up and saying, if I am in a capacity to help or to get this done, I will. I wouldn't ask myself whether it's my job or not. I will go outside of what the expectations from me are and surprise my own self. I will do things that are, that are not driven by what my output is, but what the outcome is expected to be because the output is just a checklist. It's just the things that I have to do, but what is it that was meant to achieve through my output is what I will intently focus upon. And finally performance, which is, it doesn't matter how popular you are, how cool you are, how likable you are, how long you've been in the company, everything boils down to performance. And performance is all about you, not just getting what you were supposed to get, but inputting what you were supposed to input. It's about the input variables as much as it about the output variables, what you do consistently every day as a habit defines your performance. And that's what we would measure you on. That's what you should measure yourself on upon as well. So these three things uh, defined and and consistently shown. So, so then definition is the second part. And the third one, which is become, it, it is generally the hardest. And I feel that's where I spend most of my time is to inculcate this culture and to always endorse when you see that culture being lived, and always object and stand up for when that culture is not withheld, uh, not genuinely displayed in, in conduct. And that doesn't mean that you're trying to protect the culture. It means that you genuinely believe these are the three foundations for what the culture of this organization should be. And then whenever you see something going against that culture, you'll always stand up for it. And I remember I used to spend every Wednesday an hour with all the new joinees that I joined in the last one week. And the only focus for my conversation beyond welcoming them was to focus on that culture and to request them to be my ambassadors because they were the ones who were new. They were the ones who were fresh. They were the ones who were blank slates. So they could be the best judge of whether the culture that we speak about is genuinely and authentically even experienced or not. And I told them, here's my humble admission and my request. If you find that culture not being lived up to in the organization, then please consider it your moral obligation to raise it to me. Because I stand here as the custodian of that culture, and you stand here as the informer of whether that is happening or not. And if we work together, then I'm convinced we will be able to set that right culture and to make that happen. Um, and a deluge of such reinforcement steps and I can go on and on as we will discuss but the third one is basically reinforcement of that culture on a daily basis.
0: Absolutely. I mean again these words and you know the step-by-step approach is really going to help everybody in actionable steps to inculcate the culture but moving on to what they call vision and you know a founder's vision getting inculcated which you touched upon fairly briefly but a uh, If we talk more about how to inculcate that amongst the employees at all levels, because when we see fast moving organizations starting to scale up, you move from 20 to 50, so fast in 50 to 100 at 2x. So when that is happening, when the rapid speed of scale is such that you're focusing on your product slash service and everything else, how do you make sure that your vision as the founders of the company gets inculcated at the bottom To the top.
1: There, let me start with, uh, and I see a lot of people fall in that trap, where you would want to have your employees share the same vision as yours, if you're the founder. One, it's unreasonable. Two, it's impractical. Three, it's nearly impossible. It's unreasonable because it's your company. They are earning a living, hopefully earning meaning through this job. But it's not their company. And it's unreasonable for you to expect that they would share the same vision as yours. It's impractical because you wouldn't do that for someone else, but you expect someone else to do it for you. It's impractical because you can't expect people changing jobs and thus changing the mission of their life. That hasn't happened. You've committed yourself for 10, 20 years, perhaps even longer, to this. But For them, maybe it's just a three to four year, five year stint, perhaps even shorter. And that's why it's nearly impossible. And I see so much of energy spent on making people align to that vision and so on. It doesn't need to be. Here's what I would suggest otherwise. You have a why for the company. Like you go back to Simon Sinek golden circle and you recognize that there is a why and you start with the why. And when you start with the why, that's what you share. You don't necessarily wait for people to agree. You just share it with the intent of sharing it. And of course, if there is any reaction to it that you may want to absorb to change the why or to reconsider it or to perhaps remodel it, you do that with the level of understanding and empathy that you ought to have. But it's not that you're sharing the why for people to be absolute followers of that why. And what you instead spend time on is the culture. And the culture has nothing to do with the vision. The culture has nothing to do with the mission. The culture has nothing to do with where you will reach. It is how you do things on a daily basis. So it's not about, oh, you are working at SpaceX and your vision is get all earthlings onto Mars because that's what will save the planet. So the sweeper on SpaceX, if you ask him, hey, what are you doing? It's like, I'm putting a man on Mars. All that is really fancy to hear. I seriously doubt if that happens. And if it does, kudos to Elon Musk. But if I were to just extend that example, it is not so much about the putting the man on Mars vision. It's about, hey, it's quite likely that the culture of SpaceX represents how Elon Musk thinks, which is, always think in first principles. If you're stuck somewhere, break it down to a point where you can't break it down any further. That is your starting point. That's the culture. That's how we get shit done. We're hoping against hell that we land up on Mars through that. But it's quite likely that you, whosoever you are, may not even be there when that actually happens. You may be working for a competition for all you care. But while you're in it, Here's how we do things. And
0: and I think that becomes the job of the founder. Wow, breaking the fallacy that, you know, instead of investing all your time as a founder to actually inculcate a vision, if you can build culture and make sure things are done in a way that matches with your culture, you're better off in terms of how the company functions and how the startup shapes. That was great to hear and breaks a lot of traditional ways of looking at vision and culture. So cheers to that. Moving on to, you know, the smaller components and how we talk about rituals, traditions, and how they become a part of startup culture as well. Because when we look at fast moving organizations, we have the traditional orientation, inductions, one year anniversaries. But when startups are looked at, there are different thing, different things that get made. So can you basically touch upon how these small components also shape culture and how these actionable steps can work towards building a long-term startup? They are immensely
1: underrated, Jivraj, and I have seen as a living example of how effective they are. Um, it's, like, it's like Bollywood for India. We think it's entertainment, but it sets the culture for the, com- for the country. It generally sets the culture for the country it, to the extent that I generally feel that if one had to attempt to change the way that the country behaves and operates, I would spend an inordinate amount of my time and energy on just getting movies made in that direction and that I feel will do it. So here are a few examples of what we did at nearby and it worked like magic. One of my favorite examples is this thing that we call the why the fuck form. And why the fuck form was a Google form, which was simply, if you saw anything that made you react, why the fuck are we doing this? WTF, why why the F is this happening? Why the F are we shutting down this business? Why the F are we not launching this business? Whatever is it, whatever is it that comes to your mind, you fill up this Google form and you ask, And we had that anonymous. We don't care about the source of the truth. We care about the truth. I don't care about who said it. I care about what's being said. The questions used to come to me. I was the only recipient for them. And then I used to answer those questions. But because I don't know who's asked, I would answer the questions and then share it with the entire company. And that, in miraculous ways, set the culture. Because now here I was answering every possible question and there is no question that's a taboo or no question that's stupid, no question that shouldn't be asked. Every question will be answered. And the answer is there for everyone to consume and see. And it just made it so easy for how we do things to become an accepted norm. Because it was coming directly from, say the leader of the company who believed that this is how we should stand by as an organization. Another example that comes to mind was this thing that I did called Lunch with Variku. And Lunch with Variku was me having lunch with an employee and a colleague every day. It needn't be in person. If I was in Delhi NCR, it was in person. If it was outside, it was a virtual lunch. And the agenda was very simple. It was to get to know people. It was to get to, to understand what do they think about their work? What do they think about the company? What is it that they are not too happy about? What is it that makes them happy? So on and so forth. But the, the important contribution towards culture when it came to this initiative was not so much me having this lunch, but after the lunch, me sitting down for 15 minutes, writing a hundred odd word experience post about the lunch, and then sharing it with the entire company. And that was like, hey, I had lunch with Jivraj. And Jivraj from Calcutta. And he's done this in life. And I had no idea. And this is what he does at nearby. And uh, oh, did you know that he can play this instrument? Or he has this thing. And he grew up in this environment. And this is what he loves about nearby. And this thinks that he would love to see changed and so on. And it just built this layer of respect where people were getting to know their colleagues in, in ways that they hadn't ever and they saw that the, the leader of the organization is doing something so non scalable, which is to actually have lunch with every single individual, like who does that? Uh, and, and that then suddenly drove again, the thing of you treat people with respect, as simple as that. And there are dozens of examples, but these, these two remain my, my top favorite ones and I've learned a lot from, from these two initiatives.
0: That is incredible to hear. It, it reflects so much via the narration of it all and reflects what culture meant at the organization. And I hope it can be inculcated in the same way. Uh, moving on, Ankur. So we all understand that misinformation and too much information is bad as well. So I'm sure with all of your conversations with so many young entrepreneurs that you mentor, you must have seen things that go wrong while inculcating culture which is one important step as well. When we look at the positives, let's look at the negatives as well. So uh, what are some of the mistakes that a founder can avoid while building culture at his startup?
1: I think the biggest mistake that I would speak about, Jivraj, would be a lack of appreciation for the inherent worldview of the people whose culture you're trying to build. It's very easy for us to fall prey to the cool Silicon Valley culture of flat offices, of no hierarchies, of no cabins, of having office hours where people come and share feedback or get their clarification sorted and so on. That's not the culture of at least the country we are in. And that means when you try and replicate that culture in your setup, you're essentially fighting against the inherent culture with which they have been brought up, whether it's been established through school, college. It's been established through family. It's been established through, again, pop culture, whatever the reason may be. So there needs to be an appreciation for the current way that the individuals behave. And a simple example around that is the following. I too fell prey to the the seduction that I want to build a Silicon Valley in India, that the the office of nearby would be just best in class and uh, it would be flat. It would be zero hierarchy, there would be no cabins, there would be no sir and ma'am. And because of that, information would flow freely, feedback will flow freely, people will raise their voice whenever something's wrong, um, they will acknowledge when something's right, so on and so forth. And while we, we went through the, the physical infrastructure to set it up in that way, the cultural infrastructure was not set. Like I waited and waited and didn't have any feedback come my way, like literally never. Uh, I was always available and I kept saying that I'm available but no one showed up. And that's because over time I realized that's not our culture. Our culture is that of authority. Our culture is that of some level subservience. It is of, of submission. It is of accepting orders or waiting for them to come by. So people are always, even if they want to, thinking, oh shit, if I attach my name to my feedback, and if the feedback is not received well, I will have repercussions because of that. And they've seen that happen. We all have, like we ask a question and we get scolded in school for asking a dumb question. We, we, We share the truth with our parents and our parents instead of acknowledging it, beat the shit out of us and so on and so forth. So we have been raised in an environment where speaking your mind isn't the culture. And that's when, when I remember reading that famous quote, which is give a man a mask and that's when he will show his true self, I realize that's what I have to do. If I genuinely wish to build a culture of respect and ownership, I will have to cut away with the need of knowing where the source of the truth is. Instead, just focus on the truth. And that's why one of the biggest things that we used to do at Nearby was thrive. And I use the word thrive with just as much emphasis as I can. We used to thrive on anonymity. Anonymity was a very strong foundation of how we operated as a company. We couldn't care less about who's speaking what. We were always about, we just need to hear what is being said, what is being felt, what are things that are happening in the corridors of the organization that couldn't reach people that perhaps should know about them. And then we followed it up with a layer of transparency. Because if you, if you have anonymity, then you will have everything come through. And then if you match that up with transparency, it builds trust and trust is a very 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 important ingredient to have any layer of relationship and working established if you have trust then you need far far lesser
0: layers of communication you don't need managerial oversight
1: like you just trust people to do that right i think so that was that was something we focused on
0: again that is very very commendable to hear paints a clearer picture in terms of you know not falling for the dream that cannot become a reality. Don't follow norms that work elsewhere, but cannot work in a system that you are trying to establish. Make your own rules in a way that you want to shape culture and follow the right things. And I absolutely love the anonymity plus transparency, giving us trust approach. So cheers to that. Uh, as we go on to you know, concluding portions of the episode, You touched briefly again upon how you spend time with new hires. And this is one thing that continuously bothers that, you know, while culture can be shaped with existing employees and it can be inculcated, how does a founder entrust culture in the hiring process? Because hiring in a startup versus a traditional company has to be different. You cannot have number of years of experience, skills required, because those things are good for a larger company but cannot work for a startup. So how do you propose a founder does that and how can those guidelines be set as a part of the hiring process?
1: So I I think the biggest investment we made, Jivraj, in building our culture at Nearby was in the hiring process. And I'm extremely proud of what we built. I genuinely believe it's a a gold standard in how companies should think about hiring. It's very unconventional. It's, It's very unorthodox. And and what we basically did was have what we called a culture-first approach towards hiring. Uh, we said that resume is a very poor reflection of an individual because it's just chest-thumping. It is all the things that they have done well in life, but we will never know how they got there. We will never know what defined them as an individual to get to that point. So why don't we focus on that first? Because if we get to know whether we like this individual or can see ourselves working with this individual, Then whether they have the talent or not, the skill or not, is a fairly trivial task to figure. The harder one is whether we want them in the first place or not. So everyone who applied at Nearby was sent a set of 20 questions. And these 20 questions had nothing to do with their work. They were all to do with that individual. Questions such as, what's the worst thing about you? Pick between speed and perfection. Pick between money and power. How often do you get angry? Why do you get angry? When was the last time you were intimidated? Why? If you could live without one of the five senses, which one would you be okay to give up? Why? What's one thing that your parents have taught you that you intend to teach your kids if you have them? How would your professors describe you? What are the three things that you've learned about life? So on and so forth. What I loved about them is, one, no one was expecting them. So it just got them completely off guard. And only 27% people replied. Of all those who were sent these questions, only 27% people replied. And that's brilliant because the remaining 73%, we're so glad we're not spending time with them. They could be from the best schools and done the best things in life, but we don't want to spend time with anyone who doesn't want to spend time in knowing their own selves. Forget answering it for us. And of those 27%, we just got to know so much about them. And perhaps they got to know so much about themselves, which they wouldn't have otherwise. And we love that. And there were Several other things that we'll do, I, I I wouldn't bore with that detail, but the broader thing was we spent an inordinate amount of time in trying to filter the individuals who worked at nearby, and it wasn't nearly skill-based. It was a lot about who you are as an individual and what defines you as an individual, plus matched with the skills that they brought to the table. And that just made it very easy for us to work. It just made it very, very easy for us to to be happy with people, just not have politics, not have second guessing of what do people mean and why and so, not have unnecessary confrontation, not have conflicts which turn nasty or toxic. There is respect at the same time, there is ownership which allows people to stand up for what they believe is right, while still acknowledging the other person and their point of view, so on and so forth. So I feel that hiring is just so, so, so important as a filter for culture because that's what's going to determine who comes in and whether they even aligned with the culture. Um, I equate it to, and it's not so much about culture, but about work-life balance, which is a slight, slight tag, but let me just share this nonetheless. Uh, Imagine if you are a big fan of uh, of Jagjit Singh's music, but you work in a company where the founder and everyone else is a big fan of Iron Maiden. You'll have to pretend to be someone else through the entire day to fit in. Like you will never be like, I, I just don't get Iron Maiden. I just don't get heavy rock. I just don't, understand this music. It's 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 noise for me. I like soulful guzzles and people are like, sorry, what are you talking about? And you will have to become someone else to fit in, which will then drain you out of energy, which will just drain you out of all emotional, mental energy. And, and that will be the reason why you will seek work life balance, because your work forces you to become someone else. So you have to balance it with who you are. But if your work accepted you for who you are like you never had to become someone else. The one who was right outside office is the exact same individual who walked inside of office, then it's beautiful, right? That'll be the best thing ever, which is, well, you could be a Jagjit Singh fan. And that's totally okay. That's perfectly fine. We don't want you to convert to Iron Maiden. We wouldn't perhaps ever get Jagjit Singh either. But it's okay. Perfectly fine. Next party, we will play both the songs. And that's cool. I think Hiring determines a lot of culture.
0: Absolutely. Goes on to again tell us how important it is to focus on hiring equally as much as, you know, as to scaling a company or getting the right feedback or all the other things that we do. Because if we treat hiring as a process that we just need to let go of, it's going to do more harm than good because these are the people who are going to build the company. Great. Uh, Next, famous saying that, you know, Tim Brady quotes it and you spoke about how we cannot inculcate a foreign ideology. It would be interesting to know that align your culture with your customer. So interesting to hear your views on this in terms of how the Indian setup is and how this can be inculcated with the startup.
1: I I agree partly to the statement, not entirely. I feel that culture necessarily doesn't need to be aligned to the customer, but there needs to be absolutely a culture that allows the awareness of the customer's culture to be there. I would much rather have the culture of authenticity and objectivity embedded into the way of doing things than to completely map onto the customer culture itself. For example, if you're building a product for India, for middle-class India, and you have a team that believes that they're middle-class India, Even though they're not, they're like in the top 1% of the country by virtue of how much they're earning, where they've come from, the school that they've been to and all that. It is is staggering, staggering how many people quote the Steve Jobs example of, oh, customers don't know what they want as an excuse for not knowing what the customer wants. That's not what he said. He said customers don't know what they want. He never said you shouldn't try to know what the customers want. Two entirely different things. And it, it baffles me how, how, how that, that works. So broadly, I agree to the fact that knowing the customer's culture is important. I don't necessarily agree with the fact that adopting it or making it your culture is necessary. I feel it's more important to have a culture where you set yourself up for awareness of different cultures and appreciation of where they come from.
0: Absolutely. So we, we have a culture with an open mind that can absorb what other cultures need as well. So that has been extremely wonderful to hear. So to the last question, Ankur, which is very general, uh, everybody knows how amazing your career has been and you are an inspiration to so many youngsters. If you had to sum up a, a large portion of your entrepreneurial career and otherwise... What would be some of your top learnings from your journey that you'd like to leave our audience?
1: Uh, That's always a hard one. Um, Let me start with something which may be counterintuitive. Entrepreneurship is not for everybody. And it has been made fashionable, it has been made sexy, it has been made desirable by the media. There's massive survivor bias, because all that we hear about are the unicorns, but we never hear about the deaths. And The number of people who want to become an entrepreneur because they want money or they are frustrated with their job or because they think it's a cool thing to do is staggering. And these are absolutely the three wrong reasons to become an entrepreneur. If you want to make money, you have far higher likelihood of making that money, working in a corporate and doing a good job at that. If you use entrepreneurship as an excuse for getting out of the shitty world that you live in, That's like a rebound relationship that you're getting into. And if you are becoming an entrepreneur because your friends are or you think it's cool, then that's just social signaling and you'll never be able to go through the entire grind because it's going to become really, really, really hard. And at that point of time, it will not look as cool, as sexy as, as you think it is. So I would first encourage everyone to get to know what entrepreneurship is first by having an entrepreneurial mindset. You don't have to become an entrepreneur to become an entrepreneur you can very well have it in your mind because entrepreneurship is not a profession. It's a state of mind. And if you were to think of your state of mind as as that of an entrepreneur, which is be a fervent truth seeker, be someone who falls in love with the problems rather than the solutions, someone who spends time with people who are nothing like them, is comfortable with altering perspectives, is comfortable with ambiguity, is comfortable with chaos, is comfortable with being told that they're wrong, and yet be persistent to perhaps see if they're truly wrong or right. Then you figure whether entrepreneurship is for you or not. And when you do that, the second big thing, which I have learned is, entrepreneurship is the most brutal form of self-discovery because it doesn't care who you are. None of us buy a product because the founder is from IIT. None of us buy a product because the founder has not drawn a salary for the last six months and is in financial distress. None of us buys a product because the founder has genuinely spent the five best years of their life building this up. None of us buy a product because the founder has struggled to raise money and has been doing it with their own money. We don't care. We couldn't care less. We don't care who you are. We don't care where you went. We don't care how you look. We don't care what your degrees are. We actually don't even care about how much money you've raised. All that we care about is whether your product works for me or not. And people are not used to that. People are used to life panning out for them by virtue of where they went, who they are, what they've done. And that isn't true for entrepreneurship anymore, which is why it is really, really hard for very successful people. It's harder than anything else that they've done because they thought they'll be successful by virtue of the degrees that they have and the money that they raised and so on. So that's the second piece, which is entrepreneurship is all about you discovering that who you are doesn't mean shit. What you build through that is what matters. And the third is the market plays a far, far, far bigger role than we imagine it to. It's not so much about the idea. It's not so much about the team. A bad team can still do well in a good market, but a good team cannot not do anything about a bad market. The market is a very important factor. And that's why it is extremely crucial that before you start your journey, you spend time in asking yourself, is this the market where I want to spend time? Is this worth my time, my money, my effort? Am I, after three years, feel like anyone could have done this, man? Like my, my efforts, my skill, what I know was not meant to create another ABC. It was meant to do bigger things. But now I'm stuck because I've promised my investors, I've promised my world, I've promised my own self and I can't do anything about it. And that, that's a very, very important question to ask. Is the, is the market big enough? for your ambitions, for your personality, and big enough for the success that you think you will get out of it. Because the last thing, and this is the final thing that I will say, no startup fail, no startup fails. What they fail is to live up to the expectations that they sold to the world and to themselves. No startup fails. Every startup can make money. Every startup can become profitable, but it may not be at the scale at which you thought it would. It may not be at that level that you, from your Investors or to your own self. So when we say that we failed, what we essentially saying is we failed to get to the point that we thought we will. But as an absolute, you're good enough. You're good enough. Nearby can very well be called a failure because we never got to that billion dollar that I thought we would. But that can't take away from the fact that we are hundred million dollars, which is still really big. But to the world and a large part to me myself, it feels like a failure because we were destined for a billion and all that we got was hundred. And that's just the reality.
0: Wow. That has so much to do with of clarity and conviction that we need in ourselves and the questions we need to ask. It's been a great journey and it's been an even greater episode. I cannot thank you enough for doing this, Ankur. It's been a pleasure and honor as always. Thank you for taking our time to do this.
1: Thank you, Javraj. Your questions were very thoughtful. You're a wonderful host. Thanks for having me again. Pleasure.
0: Wow. That was Ankur Variko for you. I have mentioned WOW almost 5 times now and that has been my genuine reaction to the great insights provided by Ankur. Culture is now not an enigma for me anymore and I hope you feel the same way. Let's take a quick bite back and reflect upon some of the very key pointers from the episode. 1. Culture is the oxygen for a company. It is the behavior in the absence of a rule book. 2. Culture is not an enabler of growth. It may not necessarily drive success of an organization, but it most definitely prevents it from failing. It defines how companies deal with crisis. 3. And this one's important. Build culture from day one. If you do not build it, it'll build itself and then you would have to change it. But remember, building culture is a hell of a lot easier than changing it. 4. Rituals are important. They embody the culture. Don't underplay them. Be innovative. Set your own examples internally. Some great ones by Angkor are in the form of Lunch with Variko and the Why the Fuck form. 5. Don't replicate systems that may not work. Know your audience innovate with what you have. 6. Ingrain the culture in the hiring process. The fresh hires need to embody the culture. They are the patrons of it. 7. Hire individuals who understand your culture, respect it and are willing to uphold it. 8. Build culture knowing and respecting your customer's culture. Have the empathy to respect opinions of all kinds. 9. Some great three-step approaches provided in the episode. The culture at nearby. 1. Respect. 2. Ownership. 3. Performance. The derivation of trust through anonymity and transparency. 10. Respect and understand that entrepreneurship is not for everybody. The media overhypes it and there's a lot of survivorship bias. Be sure of it. Inculcate it. Body the mindset for entrepreneurship, for it is but a state of mind. Love problems, spend time with people nothing like yourself, get comfortable with altering chaos and finally be sure of the market, have the awareness for it. Finally, one of the great cues from the episode was the fact that no startups fail. In absolute terms, definitely not. What startups do fail is in fulfilling the promise made to the external surrounding. And greatness is not in the product. Greatness is in the people building the product. And they can only build well when the culture is right. Understand it. Envision it. Implement it. Build culture. That was it from episode 11 of the Indian Silicon Valley Podcast. Where in Ankur Variko we find startup culture. I'm Jivraj Singh Sachar, your host, and I'm absolutely glad that you tuned in. Please feel free to drop in any questions or opinions that you may have. More than happy to answer or discuss. This episode was brought to you in association with the Entrepreneurship Cell of IIT Kharagpur. Do check them out at the end of the episode. One thing I've learned during this podcast is the value of feedback for founders. Candidly enough, it plays a great role here as well. Feel free to reach out to me on social media and let me know how your experience was during it. Side note, we have a very very cool WhatsApp newsletter. You might want to give it a shot. It's available in the description of the episode. My recommendation tool for this episode is a fairly famous one. Pardon me for the same, but to the extent that I see it, it probably has not been explored in the best manner possible. Talks at Google, the YouTube channel, has some fabulous guests. If you have not tuned in before, you should definitely give it a shot. Alright then, thanks again guys, cheers! If you never try, you'll never know, keep building, keep growing. See you next week for another episode.